I have to admit, I got so excited listening to that second song. I'm like, it's my time. I got to go now. And I'm like, oh, wait, nope. We definitely have one more song to rock. You know, that happens. And that's, it's okay. It happens. We're in church. You all can forgive me. It, it is what it is. So for those of you that don't know me, hi, my name is Tommy. I'm the youth pastor here at Wellsville First Christian Church. What's up? So I am really, really excited to share with you this sermon that God has given to me. In fact, it's all based out of a conversation that I had with a friend not super long ago, and I want to share it all with you. But before I do that, I want to give a little bit of context so that we're all on the same page of what's going on here. You see, I have some friends that live in different parts of the world in different parts of Ohio, and we all kind of gather along and we play video games together. We all come from different backgrounds. One of them is one of my friends I grew up in high school. Then it's his friend that he grew up with, and then another one is a friend of a friend, and then another one is a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. But anyway, we all get along really well. We play video games all the time. We keep pretty well with each other's lives. And it's interesting because we all come from quite different backgrounds. You see, as many of you know, I am a youth pastor. I went to a Bible school. One of my friends, he grew up Catholic. And another one, he grew up agnostic. And the last one, he grew up as what we all would call a Christer which is basically someone that only shows up for the Christmas and Easter services, but calls himself a Christian nonetheless. But anyway, all of my friends know that I'm a youth pastor, and I, they joke about it quite frequently, which that's fine, but I always give them space to ask questions. I kind of view it as part of my job is to just answer random questions that they have for me, because a lot of lay people and people in general just have questions about the Bible. So I always open them up to just ask those kind of questions. And thank God, they actually take those opportunities quite frequently. We've had many conversations on the topics of homosexuality or abortion or Catholic versus Protestant traditions or maybe premarital sex, so on and so forth. And one day, in fact, quite recently, a friend of mine asked me a question. He says, hey, I need you to help me settle this debate that I've been having with my sister, and I want to get your opinion on it. You went to a Bible school, so you must know everything, which is not true. But he said, I wanted to have my opinion on it. I said, okay. And he asked me the question, how does one get into heaven? And like, what, what does it take for one to get into heaven? And I answered, giving him the most basic of answers. Well, one must repent of their sins and believe in their heart that Jesus is our Savior and that he was raised from the dead for our sins. And in fact, this comes from John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And also the second part is from Romans 10, 9, which is because if you confess with your mouth and that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And my friend responds and says, yeah, 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 that all makes sense and all, but what if someone lives an evil life? Maybe they were a murderer or a hardened criminal or a rapist or a thief or an abuser. If they believe in Jesus, does that mean they get a pass? that they get to go to heaven despite all of the bad things they've done in their life. And I answered him. I said, well, understand that I'm not Jesus. I'm not the one that gets to make that decision. But I know what God's word says. And it says that if you believe, you'll be saved. And this seemed to upset him quite a bit. And, we spoke, and he spoke up and said, that's where I disagree with you. He says, not only have I heard differently my whole life, but why would God say that an evil person like that can go to heaven? Why allow a child abuser or a serial killer into heaven? 
but not allow a philanthropist or a humanitarian who has done good their whole life, but just because they don't know about this random guy in an old book in really old ancient times, that they don't get to go to heaven? My friend and I, we talked for hours that night, trying to unravel his disbelief and really dig into the truths of Scripture. But I can tell you it was really difficult for him to fully understand. And to be honest, I don't blame him. It's difficult to wrap our heads around the idea that a so-called loving God wouldn't let, quote-unquote, good people into eternal paradise, but would let evil people in all the time. On top of that, he told me that all of his churches have taught him that just being good was good enough. And today, I want to teach you all the truth. Today, the truth I want you, to, I want you all to take is that about God's love, God's grace, and the mercy that it has for the world, and all of that. And honestly, none of us are good enough to deserve what God gives to us. For those of you that already know all of this, I want to give you the tools, the scripture, and the knowledge to answer the same questions I was asked that night. So that you, if you were ever placed in this situation, which I wouldn't be surprised if many of you will be, that you will be able to answer it with confidence and stand strong in your faith. And so that you and the rest of the world do not be deceived into believing a lie the devil has placed in front of us so that, I mean, that much of the world is already believing in. You see, first off, I want to answer the question, how do we get into heaven? This was his first question. And again, consistently, it's answered throughout all of Scripture. Repent of your sins. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose again for you and for I. And this comes from John 3.16 and Romans 10.9. So a question I often hear from non-believers is, well, what about the other ways to get into heaven? There are many other religions that have their own versions of heaven or eternal paradise or some state of nirvana for them to reach. As long as I believe in one of those, I should reach heaven, right? And you see, this is a major misconception about heaven. You see, that if I just believe in any of the religions or believe in any real idea about heaven or nirvana, that I can reach it, that I will be allowed in. But this is 100% wrong. Jesus himself says that there is only one way to God. And this comes from John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one no one comes through the Father except through me. So, if you want a way to get to God the Father, to reach heaven, to reach eternal paradise, and communion, everlasting communion with God, you need Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot reach God in any other way. You and I need Jesus. So what exactly do we need from Jesus? What about Jesus do we need? Well, he already did it for all of us. Jesus already died on the cross and was raised again. He tells us in John 3.16, like I read before, that he was sent for us, that if we believed in him, we may have eternal life. And again, what Paul said in Romans 10.9, if, if we say with our lips and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So many of us already know this. Many of you that call WFCC your home already know all of this. So let's jump into the next misconception. Some people argue 
that they have lived such a good life or have generally been a good person, therefore they should go to heaven. Therefore, on the flip side of that, if someone is a bad person or they've lived a really bad life, therefore they should be deemed to hell with no other thought and no other idea behind it. They'd go straight to hell. Well, let me ask you, would you consider yourself to be a good person? You see, I'm assuming that many of you would consider yourself to be good. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, at least I didn't murder anyone this morning. You know what? I didn't hit my kids on the way to church. And I actually, I didn't rob a bank, so I guess we're good. You see, let me tell you a story. This is a story that was told to me by my like, old youth pastor. So this is not me. This is entirely him. And I just want to share this story that he shared with me many years ago. When he was in high school, he found this girl and she in his choir class. And he's like, oh, my gosh, she's so cute. I'm going to ask her out. So he goes up to her and he's like, hey, baby, you and me, let's go out. So she says yes. They end up dating for about a month or so. And he's like, man, I don't, I don't think this is going to work out. I don't think this is really good. It's not a good fit. And so he cuts it off. Two weeks pass. And he goes, man. I really miss her. I re- we had w- great dates, and it was so much fun, and I think I'm going to ask her out again. Hey, baby, you want to do this again? So she says yes. They go out on dates again, and this time, it only lasts two weeks. For two weeks, they're dating, and he goes, yeah, I made a mistake. This wasn't a good idea. I shouldn't have done this. I'm sorry. So he breaks it up. Three days later, he comes back. And he goes, I messed up. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I'm an idiot. What was, I don't know what to do. I should ask her out again. Hey, girl, you want to do this for a third time? She says yes again. So 48 hours later, he goes, oh, man, that was, that was not a good move on my part. That's my bad. So he breaks up with her again. Within a month, this man, not a month, within a year, this man has dated and broken up with the same girl three times. If you were to ask this poor 16-year-old girl, do you think this man is a good man? Her answer would clearly be no. He's a jerk. He doesn't think about anybody but himself. But yet, if you would ask someone like me, yeah, I would say he's a good man. He would probably say that he's a good man. But you see, although I may see this man as a good man, or he may see himself as a good man, there are other people in this world that view him as bad, that view him as evil, view him as a jerk. You see, although you may see yourself as a good person, and that's all well and good, you are not the decider of who gets to go into heaven. The only person who gets to decide that is God himself. So it's pretty important to know, how does God judge people as good or as bad. To get an idea of how God judges man as good or bad, let's take a look at the Ten Commandments, which comes from Exodus chapter 20. These are some of the first commandments written by God for his people to live by, showing them what a good life versus a bad life is, rules to live by. And let's try to compare that to ourselves. One of them, you shall not make false idols. For many of us, You may be thinking, well, at least I don't worship a golden statue of a calf in my bedroom. But it's easy for us to put work 
to put money, to put pleasure, to put sex, everything like that above God. It's very easy for us to do that in our lives. The next one, honor your father and your mother. I love my father. I love my mother. That is still impossible to do at times because that's who they are and that's who we are. So I know I've failed that many times. You shall not commit adultery. Not only that, but Jesus himself says, even looking at a woman lustfully is committing adultery in your own heart. That comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. So even doing that once deems you as a bad person. Next one, you shall not steal. I was a child once. I stole a lot because I could. Which would mean even doing it once, no matter how big or how small it was, I'm immediately a bad person based in the eyes of God. Continuing on, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, a.k.a. you should never lie. I know all of you have lied before, and if you tell me you haven't, that's a lie. And last one, you shall not covet thy neighbor's goods. In other words, you should not have a heart of jealousy for something that you don't have. We're humans. We all do that. Each and every one of us has failed in one of those regards. And that is only six out of the Ten Commandments. There are still four we didn't even touch yet. In the eyes of God, we are immediately viewed as sinful, as bad. And in fact, Paul recognizes this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every person on earth has sinned. Without any doubt, we all fall short of what God has asked us to do. We are all bad people. No matter how big or how small the sin was, we all fall short of what God has commanded for us. And Paul continues in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, our punishment is death. We deserve death. We are all bad people that deserve a bad punishment. And there is no such thing as a good person except for Jesus Christ. We are all sinners. We are all bad people that have sinned and deserve death. But Jesus sacrificed himself on that cross and was raised again to be the substitute for us. That should have been us on the cross. It was our sins that held him there. But he did it for us. So when it comes to thinking that we're better than someone else, that, oh, well, I deserve heaven more because I've sinned less or haven't sinned as much, we've still sinned, each and every one of us. We are all bad. There is no good. So it is a lie to think that we deserve heaven more than someone else because they are worse or they are were better. That is a sin. Do not be deceived. We have all sinned against God. We have all deserved death. But Christ's sacrifice covers for all of us. He died for all of us and rose again so that we may have eternal life. No matter how good or how bad we are, we can find eternal life in him. So the final question, the final question that my friend asked me, and I want to share this all with you, his question was, why be good then at all? If we're all saved through Jesus Christ, why not just repent at the last minute on your deathbed and you're good to go? You don't have to worry. You can live the life you want, sin as much as you want. As long as you repent, you're A-OK. To be honest, 
That's, not, that's a valid question. That's not a bad question to ask. If we're all saved by the work of Jesus Christ and all we have to do is believe, then what's the point of trying to act like a good person, trying to come to church and act like a goody little Christian? Although it sounds nihilistic, if we're all bad, why bother being good at all? See, the book of James actually does a phenomenal job answering this. And this comes from James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it is dead. James uses an example that good works are necessary in our life. In his example, he asks, how can we go up to someone who is in need and is in pain and just say, hey, you know what? You're doing great. I hope you have a wonderful day. Be warmed and filled, but then do nothing to help them. Do nothing to support them. At that point, we're just talk. And we need to be more than just talk. We need good works to show that we have faith. So what are these good works? These good works are showing the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The good works are following the commandments of God and those that Jesus gave to us. Now, I want to make sure that you all understand this because it is extremely important to make this clarification. It is not the works that save us. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot do enough good works to get into heaven or do many bad ones to get into hell. It is only faith in Jesus that saves you. So how do you know if you have faith at all? You exhibit these good works in your life. James actually concluded in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Just as a body without a spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. Your works is not what saves you, but your works show your inward faith. So as believers of Jesus Christ, we are to exhibit our inward faith through our good works, through loving our neighbor like ourselves, through following the Ten Commandments, through growing ever more deeply in relationship with God the Father, through having the fruit of the Spirit and living like Jesus Christ. Because without any of that, we're just saying something with our lips. We have no real meat to it. We have no skin in the game. But when, but when we have good works and we have a strong faith, that's when we become a powerhouse for the kingdom. That's when the devil has no foothold in our life. That's when we can stand triumphantly because we know that our God, our King, our Lord holds the victory. So as I wrap up today, and the praise team comes back up to the stage, for those of you that have been a believer all of your life, maybe you already knew everything I've talked about, and maybe, maybe you haven't. I have a challenge for you. I challenge you to never be deceived. 
Never let the devil tell you any lies about salvation to tell you that you actually don't need Jesus or you actually don't need to live a good life to receive salvation. On top of that, I challenge you to stand up for your faith when you see a brother or sister fail to understand God's truths about salvation. I pray that today you were able to see all of what scripture has now and you can show a fellow believer or non-believer the truth. Don't let the devil continue to spread lies because honestly, it's already happening and it's getting worse. This whole sermon was born out of a conversation that I had with a man who calls himself a follower of Christ. This means that somewhere, somehow down the line, a church failed to raise him right, failed to show him the truth, and it allowed the devil to lead him astray. These truths that I want you to stand up for, Jesus is our Lord, the only way to eternal life. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We are to believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that He is Lord. That we are all sinners and that makes none of us good people. Even though we deserve death, God loves us and sent His Son for us. And finally, even though we're already saved and already forgiven, it is through our good works that our inward faith is exemplified. And for those of you, for those of you that have not yet made the commitment to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, I urge you to consider it. If you have questions or doubts or uncertainties, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to seek the truth. Our God is powerful enough to handle and take all of your doubts, all of your questions. If you're ready to make that commitment, if you're ready to make a change in your life, we have people in the front that can walk you through the next steps and help show you how to take those next steps in your faith. Would you all stand and let's prepare ourselves for worship, but I really encourage you to respond today.